Hello and welcome to Tweed Talk, your weekly RCU racing podcast with your host, myself, Russell Lee. Before we get into the show, let me say a massive thank you to the sponsors. So thank you to CML Distribution and, of course, Schumacher Racing, the companies that keep us on air every week and keep you lot in, in prizes at Christmas. So, guys, thank you very much for your constant support. I really couldn't be doing this show without you. So no messing about this week and our one-take podcast. Our guest, Darren Bloomfield, is waiting in the wings on the, on the, on the sidelines. So how you doing, Darren? You all right? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good evening. Hello, everybody. I mean, not that you really need an introduction, but I'm, I'm going to give you one anyway. European champion, World's A finalist, uh, multiple national championships across 10th and 8th. And then a few years ago, you just knocked it on the head. So, oh, man, I've had enough of that. I'm going to go do something else. <laughs> yeah, it was coming for a while. I didn't want to travel anymore. Um, just family time, sun's playing golf, needed more weekends. So... It wasn't the racing I left behind, it was just a job. But yeah. I had to get myself set into a new life and job before I could come back and have a go for fun. Yeah. I, I, I can really, really see your reasoning. I really can. What we'll do is, um, with all of our guests, we like to do like a, a this is your life kind of thing. Um, so let's go right the way back to the start and talk about how you got how you got started in RC what was your first inklings of RC cars how did it all all come about for you yeah it was a long time back um it was my dad used to fly um RC planes which he does do again now but I guess he missed about 20 years of it (laughs) (laughs) um there was a a friend of his way back there was a, a small group of them used to fly one of them was um he's known well obviously to the CML brand Jason Huntley he um he was one of these guys that did something different every week. Um, and one week it happened to be an RC car. Um, and he said, oh, he said to my dad, oh, you should bring um, Darren down, little Darren down to, because um, I was only about seven at the time, I think, to the local club on a Thursday night in a scout hunt and, and have a look. And obviously that was it. We went down to have a look. And long story short, dad sold all his planes. We got all the car stuff and, yeah, traveling all around the, country getting on doing that so regionals and supported by dms racing at the start um yeah so thanks to jason huntley obviously that's uh pretty very well exactly where it all started you know, did, did did your dad race as well to start with no never never oh right okay uh, that was a big commitment for him then yeah yeah no never he was he was heavily into nasty planes i mean he's got up to his c or d public like flying license or whatever it yeah. is um demonstration or whatever at public shows um he used to do numerous stuff with that um so he was quite into that um but no no absolutely nothing with an rc car until until mr jason huntley uh introduce us to it he's a, he's a good guy jason he's, I, I, <laughs> I like i really like the cut of his jib you know he's his attitude and mannerism is just for me just perfect you know no airs and yeah. graces you, you get what you get um, so, did you start? Say, so say, so what was the club you started at then? It was DMS Racing on a Thursday oh, okay. night. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was a, a small scout hut at the time in Abbots Langley. Ran about, I, I guess, sort of ninety six, ninety seven, I guess. But obviously, yeah, my dad barely even remembers what about what exactly what time it was. But yeah, a little ways back now. Um, can you remember what your first cars were? 
Yes. So it might not be exactly, but one that I is a vivid memory is um I forget what it's even called. It might have been a Yokomo, because obviously it was all touring cars. Yeah. So it was touring cars indoors on the Thursday night. Um and then pretty quickly we moved into a a, a temp scale buggy scene. But I think it was a YRF two or something like that. The front motored yeah um like a just a um, not a solid rear axle but it had like a the two x kind of wires at the back which just had free rolling is rear it, wheel so it was a front wheel drive yeah i don't know what you mean. Is, that, is that the one that had like the weird shock absorber in the middle of the car like across the top deck i can't i can't even remember i just remember it being some yeah. sort of what yeah yrf2 i think it was no doubt. and then obviously we quickly moved on to pretty much a street weapon from Losi because yeah. Darren BMS was heavily involved with Losi and Helga at the time. Um, so yeah, something like that. And then we went outdoors. I know that that Thursday night club had a, a park out the front, out, out the side and DMS in the summer used to run. It was actually very unique. It's never been done to, to my knowledge again, where the indoor carpet track was laid and the outdoor guys done their own track outside and the, he had the computer on the doors. And let's say there were six heats. There was three of touring car and three of outdoor buggy running literally the same event. Um, I'm pretty sure it's never been done again. That's how the Thursday nights in the summer used to run. That's a really cool yeah. idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember it vividly. Um, I mean, we did Thursday nights in, in, with DMS for, I mean, it must have been... 15 years solid, probably missing two, I'd imagine, in that whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's plenty more clubs that we, we got involved with. I mean, we, we obviously did racing heavily. That's obviously where it got me to where I did, I'm assuming. Um, my dad was involved at some point through Aylesbury um, Off-Road Racing Club with Richard Barton, yeah. his dad, um, and, and, the, and the guys down there. So we were racing their club night on a Friday, which was only about half an hour from us in Watford. Tuesday nights, we would go to Chesham indoor. Um, so we were racing sort of three nights a week for probably a good eight years, 10 years. It's really funny because, you know, while I was doing this research for the show tonight, I spoke to a couple of people and they were saying, like, you were one of the most naturally gifted RC drivers um, they've ever seen or ever come across. But obviously, when you're racing three times, I'm not trying to take anything away from you at all, but, you know, no, I know when you're, you're racing three times a week, all of a sudden it kind of, from from such an early age, you know, it kind of it shows, doesn't it, that, the, you know, it yes, makes a difference. Yes. So what you're saying is if I start boxing, there's still an Anthony Joshua in me somewhere. Is as, that what you're saying? as long as you do it three or four times, mate, yeah. <laughs> I, th I think your size might be a bit of a problem against someone I'll like Fury, say, though. I've got a little way to go, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. Oh, class, right. mate. So, so where, how, when did you... I know it's a, probably a hard question to ask you because you were so young. Mm -hmm. did, did it ever click in your head that, you know, I think, oh, I could be quite good at this, or did you ever sit down with your dad and go, hang on a minute, we, we might be able to take this a bit further, you know, no, no, literally, when anyone says that, I've got a vivid memory of it, really. Um, and even up until winning, um, obviously, we won some stuff along the way, I guess, regionals, junior championships, when temp scale junior championships in in my day, when like Luke Saunders and Tom Yardy, all, all those guys, we all did them round about. They were, they were huge then. Yeah. Um, but even up until winning the first, one tenth BRCA national title in 2007. 
it, it was still we just loved it. We literally just loved it. Similar to to be honest with what I see with um, Sean and Freddie Thompson at the moment, where they just they just love it. It's not yeah. they're not expecting too much from it. It's um, they've got other stuff outside of it. Blah blah blah. Freddie's at school or whatever. I'm not too sure what he does actually, but similar to that, it's just we just did it. It was just right where we racing next. What should we do? And it, it was there was never any assumption from it whatsoever. Yeah, whatsoever. That's crazy. So. When you just moving forward a little bit, so obviously you you know you won a couple of championships with the you know in tenth um, um, and eighth. Um, when you won the Euros in two thousand and twelve, uh, was it a shock? Or, well, yeah. Or, or did you think? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I know you had the best pit man in the world after after Mick Craddock, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. but, you know, because I'm just sorry for the listeners. Um, Adam Drake came to the Euros to pit for. Um, um, Darren at the uh, at the 2012 Euros. You, 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 that's how much of a big deal you were, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's actually third and best, third best in the world because I'm. Uh, I like to put Gail at the top of that list. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I take it back. You are year. correct, mate. Yeah, you you are correct. So I will take it back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Third best, third best in the world. If we're looking at it like yeah. that, but. Um, I've kind of just missed the question, but re- relay it again. Cause I so was, uh, when you won the, when the, when you won the Euros in two thousand and twelve, did you think you were going to win? It, Obviously, because they they sent Mister Drake over for you. Yeah, of course. No, no, no. I think um, obviously having him just sent over to babysit was definitely a um, a good feeling in my corner. And, and, and again, never did I. Obviously, we all want to win, but I don't think I'd ever sat there and thought, right. Yeah, I always ask I'm this question. And I always get it wrong. You know, or did you expect? Obviously, no one expects to, to win a meeting like that. But yeah, I yeah. Mean, I definitely wanted to. Um, but again, even through so much can happen. I mean, even through qualifying, it just goes so quick. I mean, it's almost a week long, but it really doesn't feel like it. Um, so no, no, there was never any expectation. I think the only real time I, I sort of got to the point of thinking mm, this, if it goes right, this could be good was nearer to the semi-final really. Um, when I had an issue in the semi-final, which, which uh, I had a stone stuck in the wheel. I mean, pretty much of every podcast I've been on, I've said this, so I'll skim past quickly because if they've listened to the other ones, they've heard some of it. So I had a, a stone stuck in the wheel in the semi-final, so that I got stuck literally on the track. But as I revved it, I knew the car was trying to pull, but it was obviously stuck. So yeah. I didn't know if it was a drive shaft or from that far away, you can't tell. Yeah. But the marshal literally picked it up and within a couple, literally a couple of seconds, um, I, he said rev it and I revved it. And then I see all four wheels just light up. So I was like, oh, and he threw it back down. So I carried on, but I had lost... Obviously, although it felt like two seconds, in the midst of it, in a semi-European championship, semi-A final, obviously you lose a chunk of time. Yeah. So I think I dropped to somewhere like sixth um, and then started to think, oh, great, this is like, I knew it, something was going to go wrong. Obviously, I know I've said this before as well, but one of Tebow's best ever comments was, obviously you've got to have absolutely everything go right to win, but you've got to have one thing go wrong to lose. And I started, obviously I got that feeling, started to think that, um, but carried on and obviously made the final. Um, started sixth, um, so I was in the mix in the mix again. And honestly, that final felt probably like five minutes. Obviously, there was four or five pit stops in there somewhere, which I can only really remember one, which was the last one to be honest, because I knew at that point I was then chasing Ronald Falk and he still had a pit stop to go. 
So I only really remember one pit stop. Um, so it was, to answer your question, not until at least the semi-finals, I thought, oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And what, what was it like getting, getting past Ron Falk and, and taking the lead? What, can you, what was the feeling like for that? I can remember that. Yeah, I can remember that very, very well. But um, obviously the thing that made my final go so fast was I had a lot of work to do. Yeah. I was starting sixth. Obviously, in between me and Ronafog, there was another four cars and they were no mean feat either. So yeah. I had quite a lot of work getting there. I actually only I actually only led the final for, I think, three laps. But obviously the most important one, which was the last. Um yeah. So yeah, I do remember that feeling, getting past, obviously, I knew that we were tussling quite hard, I know he was very eager to try and get past, whereas I had just backed it off a fifth, which is what I always used to do, just to sort of, if I was going to lose, it wasn't going to be by my own mistake. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely do remember it, and uh, it's, yeah, I mean, the, the, the last four laps are probably the most... Most memorable. Yeah, I had a chuckle in the week because, you know, Ron of Hulk's um, left hot bodies and he's done like a little teaser video of where he's going to and, and stuff like that. And I think I might have watched that earlier yeah, today. And I watched yeah. it and it was quite funny because he's talking about when he came second at the Euros and then as he comes over the line, the the um, the results pop up on the screen and there's your name at the right of the bright above it. I, I had to talk. Yeah, oh, that's what I this watched week. earlier. How funny. Yeah, because yeah, he said, oh, he won it in 13 and 14 and he came close in in 12 and that's when he says that and it shows you the finishing order yeah. from from and 12 yeah i saw that today brilliant man uh, yeah. so what was it what was adam drake like to work with as a as a, as a, as a person is he does he come across um well like well i remember rephrase that obviously i know adam drake from a couple of times i met him at neo and, and all the videos i've seen he makes on youtube what's yeah. he like is it was, was was he cool was he telling you what to do or how, how was he how did, how did you get on no, he he didn't really tell me um, to do anything, really. Obviously, he's so dedicated. He knows, obviously, everything about his program and whatever he's doing at the time. So he, he had all of that under control. I had probably quite a bit more communication with Kevin because a lot of people forget that Kevin Gahan was there as well, who, yeah. was, the, who was the current, um, well, US, but, but Team Losi manager in, for the world, really. Um, and he was actually there. So I had more communication in terms with him because Adam was always in the pit lane, whereas Kevin could watch from where he wanted and he got quite an insight to different parts yeah. of the track. Um, so, so no, he didn't really give any anything like that. It was purely just confidence that someone was going to be doing the correct job down there and, and uh, yeah, getting on with it, so let me do it. What was the thought process of bringing someone over from, from the States to help you? Um, I'm not being disrespectful to anyone in the UK. Did did, did Lossie think you had a better chance with them coming over to help, or, or was it just the, the thing that people did back then? Well, no, we were actually running uh, the prototype 3.0. It was the Lossie 8 3.0 uh, yeah. prototype. So it actually only had um, like aluminium stamped shock towers rather than machined finished ones and yeah. stuff like that. So and, and Adam was in charge of that whole project. So it was. Yeah, it was nothing to do with the trust of anyone here or not here, or it was just a car that not many had even seen or used, um, and 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 he was sent with his baby to, yeah, to to uh, to piece it to me to to try and win. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And um, so obviously, I've heard um, during my research today that you're always the master of car preparation, and you absolutely had to do absolutely every single piece of the car yourself. Well, that that was 
probably another reason why they sent him because yeah over the years i've always had a pit man yeah but i've always done everything on the on the car from gluing tires to engine to clutch not tuning the engine but just just general yeah maintenance all the time yeah i've, I've always maybe had someone to help but but yeah unlike sort of most of the professional racers that would always have someone do it and then they would just help and do the tires um yeah i've always done all of it so it's um yeah i've always just had a bit of a sort of control freak thing about that i think you just show, it's, it, um, it shows in your results mate absolutely shows in your results yeah yeah i mean even this year obviously with the associated i've i've, I've seen others obviously like nick and neil obviously work together and um like dave bailey and um chris to the side of me um, with sort of two hands on all the time. So one of the hardest things is is when you come back from a race that's wet or muddy or dirty and your car's dried out and filthy and then everyone else that you've been marshalling with, their cars are blown off and a bit... That's literally the head start. That's the one of the biggest things. Yeah, yeah it's honestly one of the biggest things. I'm but, a, yeah. When I race, I'm the same. If it's... If it's you know, obviously, if it's if it's a dry ash day, fine. But if it's if it's wet or muddy or oily, I have to do like sixty, seventy percent of the the clean before I even think about loading the car. Doing you know, anything, and, yeah. and then it yeah, makes yeah. it makes the job so much easier to get yourself motivated um, at yeah. home to do the last little bit. You know, well, well you've still got to strip it down, don't you, and clean it and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it makes no sense because obviously people like Hamilton don't do. I guess I mean they must be involved with their car. I don't really know how that program runs, but. A part of it for me was I never really was good at not necessarily team sports in the way of communication, but team team sports in the way of um, football. Like football in my, I was pretty good at football in my earlier years. Um, I've had grandfathers that played for Arsenal. My dad played for QPR, um, but I was just. Are you still there? Yeah. yeah. Ah. I was just never massively into to sports, um, even at school, like football, relying on others. So I think a certain element of that is carried through into the RC in terms of I want to do it. Um, and I think that also rings part to obviously your success, knowing your car better and knowing the, knowing the, knowing the stuff. Um, yeah, it's just always. And the other thing was at Losi, you never really got the support for that, not, not week in, week out. Um, yeah. So, what's it like this year? Now you you actually do every single bit in, on your comeback tour. I'm jumping forward a bit just briefly. What's hmm. it like now when you're doing every single bit of the car yourself? Is, is, it, was, is it a big is it a big shock or is it, is it what what you expected or have you, no. can you can you dedicate the time? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, most of it's in the preparation. If you if you turn up and all of a sudden round two you've got to be changing a bearing because it's rusty from last weekend or you've got to be changing a clutch I mean I try to prep the car to the point where it's I shouldn't have to touch it if I need to do anything it's because I've bent or broke something or I've got to change dip oil or shock oil um, in my opinion I shouldn't be going in and changing a drive shaft for a final or because it's worn yeah. um, I, I tried to prep the car the week before thinking right if this is fine and I don't bend or break it, I shouldn't have to touch it. So that's, I think preparation is always the, the main, the main, getting that main bit out of the way. But yes, there's still a lot of work. Um, yeah. There is still a lot of work. Gluing tyres. Um, obviously, I tried to have tyres glued for the year, but whatever you glue is never what turns out to be what you're using. And yeah, um, yeah so it's it is tough. It is tough. But it, but for me, it's definitely an element that you need to be 
engage with, I think. Yeah. So moving on from 2012, um, 2013, the, the Chico Worlds. Yeah. In f- absolute, absolutely flying. You, you, you end up six in the A. Yeah, two-wheel drive. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. The, 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 the premier class. Yeah. The premier yeah, class. Yeah. The driver's class. Yeah. The BMW driver's class. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I hadn't done... I hadn't done... Had I? I think that was my first temp scale world. Hadn't done worlds in earlier years, in sort of junior years, purely down to cost, to yeah. be honest. Um, yeah, could, couldn't afford to do it. Um, and then round about when I really peaked in terms of moving into a professional career, that was after the Thailand Ape Scale Worlds in 2010. But because of the low C coming out round about then, I kind of left the temp scale scene behind. So that was really a whole chunk that I missed from sort of, I guess, 09 to sort of, yeah, 13. Um, I should have been at the temp scale, Euros, Welds, but I missed the whole chunk to concentrate on the eight scale platform. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's crazy, mate. I mean, just talking, um, I think it was a bit before 2010 the, um, the car came out. The, uh, the, yeah. the, eighth. the reason I know this for, because I've got a little claim to fame here, I'm going I'm to uh-huh. blow your mind here. Back in the day when we were both a little bit skinnier, um, um, Butch, Simon Willits, um, yeah. he, there was a world, there was a, a national warm-up at uh, Sandy, okay. um, and he needed a professional pit man, and, but unfortunately uh, no, one, no, no one was available, so uh-huh. I, was, I was the dickhead that answered the phone. So anyway, um, I'm there pitching for Butch, um, and this car screams up to the top corner on by the straight, hits the straight pipe the lake. and flicks off into the lake. <laughs> and I'm, it's really funny oh. looking back now, you know, because um, a lot of things happened that day. Um, that was the first time I clapped eyes on Elliot Boots. Yeah, he, he was yep. about like twelve. You know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. like, my god, he's fast, but he he, he was crashing everywhere. Like yeah, with like, a Mugen, I think. Yeah, he was like unbelievably crashy. You know, if that's even a word. Um, but yeah, and then your car went into the lake, and that guy stripped down to his pants, didn't he? Um, and it was like yeah, March, he, February, March, and he was in his pants pulling out motorbike breathing. engines and all sorts. Yeah, <laughs> you remember? You were there, were you? Yeah, That's yeah, fun. yeah. I was literally stood there. It was, it was, it was, it was looking for your car? Yeah. Yeah, we actually. Um, I can't forget. I can't remember his surname. He, he was a club member from Stockfold. Chris, his name was. Yeah. Um, I believe we actually sent him a, a mini tea the week after from, from just as a thank you for recovering was, the car it was really funny because it was that cold he was feeling around with his feet he'd find something like I say he pulled out like a 50cc motorbike engine and he, we found your car and I think it, you, I mean your dad got it running didn't he within like 10 minutes of it being out he was running on the box you know, Spash it. yeah David Spash it oh was it yeah. Dave yeah yeah getting it sort of warmed up and dried out I guess I think they obviously rescued any water out of it to begin with changed the air filter and then once they got it to a point where they felt right, well, we've we've done what we can to save it. Let's just fire it up and warm it up. Yeah, so, whack, whack a radio yeah. train it, and away you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. small yeah. world, isn't it? Small yeah. world. Um, yeah. That was pretty much my entry to ape scale, really, right yeah. then, because yeah. that was. Um, I remember being told one time, "Oh, you beat." Um, uh, I can't remember his name now. He's one of the top guys when we went there. Not ah, uh, can't remember. Anyway, yeah, that was pretty much my entry. It's quite funny actually because a couple of the lads um, were going went to Sandy a couple of times um, after the after the the, the, 
the the national and whatever. And Lewis Hamilton and his brother were um, yeah. turning up because they obviously they were they were into eight then before you know, yeah before they got a big deal and yeah. stuff like that. And you know it's you know you hear people on the internet talk about Lewis Hamilton nowadays. How he's a people have got their opinions as to state like that you know and like, like lads like Ricky Clark would walk up to him Lewis you speak to my missus and he'd hand the phone and like literally everyone was just passing the phone to Lewis so he could speak to pe- random people around the country <laughs> yeah. you know such a nice guy so humble you know um, and then I was saying to Bush you know he's racing in a couple of weeks he's coming up and uh, Bush is young going up but I yeah, um, he ended up beating Lewis and he, he apparently said if I ever see him again I'm never going to let him forget it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure he'll ever bump into him again. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think he'll be popping down to any club meetings. No. Yeah. No. So while I was doing my research today, um, I was talking to Fred. I mean, I, I've heard this story numerous times before on um, on, on podcasts, even m- my own. The fact that Freddie was poking around in your garage one day, um, <laughs> and he found the car that you won the world's warm up with under a bench, all covered in mud, literally as it left the yeah. track. Yeah. You know, first of all, what were you doing winning the world's warm up, mate? Don't you know that's like a massive jinx to actually winning the event? <laughs> well, it wasn't a massive, I mean, it was such a massive jinx that it didn't even let me go. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, I hadn't done in that period. That was that was right, uh, when was it? 2011? Yeah. 2011. And that was all because the 22 was released. So then they got me running the 22 oh, you need to be running this and doing that. So obviously popped along to the world's warm-up. Um, I actually was there as a wild card. I don't know if anyone really remembers, but I actually, for the first half of qualifying, well, for the first half of the event, up until halfway through qualifying, I was actually there to run the mid-motor car, which that's what I did up until then. Everyone else was running rear motors. And actually I was there as a wild card running the mid-motor to see to pace it against and see what we could do and as much as it was all right and and good on that style of track a bit faster a bit looser dirt it wasn't as good so the the designer at the time dan hissom decided to say right let's let's can it let's get you out and try and sort of save not saving an event but but actually switch to what we know is now definitely faster and the one to run um before you end up in a b file and you shouldn't be so we i don't know exactly when it was but we wheeled out a rear motored car, and um, and yeah, that was it. It, it. I think it was one of those where because I'd been running something that was not quite right and a bit hindered, trying to make the most of it. Once I actually got the rear motored car, I was like, oh, this is so easy. Yeah. So it just went from strength to strength, and then yeah, I put put Tivo under some pressure and threw those S's in the middle, and he binned it over, and I won the world's warm up, which was uh, yeah. But because of uh, our, our greatest Paul Worsley he stopped me going thank, uh, thankfully but uh, yeah never forget him for that that's weird man we actually we we're actually going to get an entry through Ireland I think or Holland or something silly and yeah. he actually he actually said if we progressed to do that he'd uh, make sure I never got a BRCA licence again what was the reason that you couldn't go for had you not qualified through nationals or something no, I hadn't done a I hadn't done a national ah, that year. Yeah. So to be yeah, fair, down he did he did similar to um, not like him. They he did similar to Elliot Booth. I think Elliot, Elliot. Booth wanted to do a yeah, national Japan, the Euros, and they're like, yeah. well, the rules. He was obviously they were quite polite about it. Like, you know, the rules are you have to have done this. You know, yeah. it, is, it is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. It is silly. Yeah, because yeah, you're supposed to promote the sport. You're supposed to sort of 
it's to support your country and go and do that. And yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, everyone, no one agreed with it, but yeah. rules are all. Yeah. So going through then, how come um, you left RC racing? Let's face it, you know, pretty much the top of your game. I know you'd knocked 10th on the head. Um, and then for the, like the last year or so, you just did eighth, eighth really, didn't you? Like 2018 was like your last year. Yeah, um, yeah. What was the reason behind behind stopping? Um, had you had enough of racing? Uh, was it was there no uh, like a sort of job in RC for you, like with the manufacturer or being paid to be a racer? Or what was the story behind that? Uh, it was no, it was nothing of the kind. I um, I probably had lost a little bit of love in terms of. Um, the team and and yeah being being in that position um but but way more importantly um i just wanted i wanted weekends it was an it was i wasn't earning the money lewis abbott was to be away from home yeah. let's uh let's just yeah. uh I suppose put that out there growing up with a family and stuff like that yeah yeah so it's um my son was born 2012 the same year only a matter of months before i won the euros um so he's he's doing golf and doing stuff on the weekends um, and it was always apparent to me, but I was can't say stuck in what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. That is what it is. And the only way I could sort of make that leap was to just change. Um, if I stayed in the industry in terms of a team manager or I don't know, something, some of the, one of these roles, it meant I would still be involved with the races. So and still, still be, be there going a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was going, I wanted to race. I didn't want to. Sounds a bit bad, but I don't want to help someone else win. If I, I was there, I, I wanted mean. to win. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the only way I could do that was, yeah, just just change jobs. So I, I, I changed job. Um, only issue being is I didn't do very well at school, and I haven't hadn't done anything since school, and I was nearly thirty. Um, so the job I took it sounds a bit mad at the time. But the job I took included weekends because I remember a lot of people saying, well, you're still doing weekends. I was like, yeah, but I'm on the road to something else. Yeah. Carrying on doing weekends in RC was never going to change. Going into something different, doing weekends. I only, I only targeted car sales. One, because as you've seen from a podcast, I can talk a load of rubbish. Um, <laughs> and if you can talk a load of rubbish, you can sell a car. Um, so I only started off in that place. And what I also knew was it was also going to get me to meet a lot of people. Um, in terms of customers so every single customer throughout 2018 I was like oh what do you do then what do you do then and oh it was IT sales and it was this and it was that and I was like right okay and trying to work out what so all I ever changed to selling cars for was a stepping stone I was never going to be doing it for long and it only turned out to be March 18 to February 21 had you planned to come back when you knock racing on the head you're like that's it I've never touched another car again or, or, or no you... no 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 I, I had never if I if I could have just jumped into a Monday to Friday into a career and the money that I needed I, I would never have stopped racing yeah it's only because I had to concentrate on taking a different path and getting that sorted before I could return hence getting a new job Monday to Friday in February and entering the nationals and going from there so no, I had never planned to leave racing. I just planned to leave the job. Yeah. Um, but in a roundabout way, that's the path I had to take to to get back round to it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a real interesting story, you know, um, especially considering that, you know, you, you, you tip up this year 
Um, and it's like he'd never been away, you know, to, to the fact that you won a race at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, I guess it's not like riding a bike, but one, we all love racing. I mean, how many faces disappear and come back anyway? Yeah, yeah um, Driving an RC car is just cool. Um, you don't have to be slim. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to eat. You don't have to eat salad day in, no. day out. Um, it's not dangerous um, in many ways, to be fair. Um, it's cool. It, it definitely is cool. Um, so I was always always going to come back and have a go. But yeah, it felt it almost felt like I had never left, to be honest. I mean, even up, all through the years that I was, well, two years that I was selling cars, obviously I was keeping my eye on it, but not much was also happening. Um, obviously lockdown hit, didn't it? End of yeah. 19, start of 20. So... I actually only missed one round of nationals because I didn't run nationals in 2020. It's crazy, isn't it? Perfect time yeah. for it. Perfect time. Yeah, so I've, even though I had essentially two years out, I only really missed a, a year, which actually only hit me when I first went back for the nationals and someone said, oh, how the bloody hell did you get into the top heats? And I was like, you know what? I don't even know. But I've read back through the rules and it counts your last... I can't remember now, but it, I think it takes in, into consideration the last two years. Yeah. One of those I didn't do, but one of them I did. So it was counting in the way that they do their scoring. I had a score, whereas people like the Halls yeah, and Freddie Thompson, Rolling around in heat one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One and three, I think. Yeah. So had it been next year, I'd have been in the same boat because my score would have run out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I actually didn't miss that much, and and I watched a hell of a lot of it. I always watched the Raw Nationals every single year, um, in in eight scale, um, and and normally temp scale as well. I always watched the World Championships. So yeah, I'd watched a lot of it, um, and and I always almost had a new sort of lease of life. Um, I felt relaxed. I didn't feel um, obviously CML. Obviously, thanks to them and Craig and Jason and everyone that actually got me back to the track with some equipment um but obviously other than wanting to do well for them I, I definitely didn't feel much pressure on my shoulders because I had said to them look I want to do it but I just want it to be fun I don't want it to take over blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, year to I'll learn just, and maybe we'll see what happens the year after sort of thing yeah I'll just try and get in the mix try and help some people try and get some info about whatever blah 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 and and so obviously that definitely helped but obviously running what I think is is such a good package in the terms of, I mean, you've only got to name the names, haven't you, really? Associated OS in terms of a block engine and Proline tyres. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're pretty much plucking plucking the best out of the sky that you can. Yeah. Um, so I had, ma- yeah, no pressure. I had massive confidence in what I was using. Um, and, yeah, just one thing led to another. I thought I was going to be straight up there at the beginning of the year, and I kind of was, but I did have a failure at uh, the first one, which was Northwest Nitro, which turned out to be a battery, unfortunately. Um, and then it kind of built up a bit, a couple of tracks that I hadn't been to ever before, like East Shrewsbury had a good result, and then it kind of built up, and then Brookfort, where I'd had a go last year, because I popped along, um, and had a go with the Lewis's cars at a race. Um, so that was like the, the one where I was like, oh, I'm familiar with this one. Yeah. But then so was everyone else. So I was kind of like, mm, maybe that won't pay out. But it did. Obviously, I got a podium. Um, Neil got second, I believe. 
Um, and I was only six seconds behind Johnny. So having watched Johnny over all these two years, beating everyone and doing really well, pretty much everywhere he went, I was thinking, oh, your little swine, you only beat me by six seconds. And it gave me a real good kick up the arse. Um, moving to, obviously, the last one of the year, I had been round there. I don't know how many people know. I did an afternoon again the year before with Mike Lewis just the, in lockdown I did one of the four hour sessions at yeah. Nemo so I had again I had had a go um, but that was it I hadn't been there other than that just those four hours in that afternoon And but again I knew it was sort of quite an easy track to learn it was all quite close to you there wasn't many blind spots so where's Westmill was the worst national of the year I literally from going being pretty much my home track to not really knowing which way to turn, even at the end of the weekend. So, yeah, Neo, ne- Nemo was a was a, a fairly good one to give me a boost at the end of the year, and and I was fast. I know a lot of people said, "Oh, well, it, this happened and that happened," and he was gifted it, and Neil broke out, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you yeah. know what? You yeah, got to be what? there, people mate. People have won world championships in that in those yeah. scenarios, and and actually, if you watch the live coverage, that's the only thing I can. Uh, um, what's the word? sort of let the proof in the pudding speak through the video. Um, the only people on track in terms of, I was catching Neil and Johnny and Neil broke out and I actually caught Johnny. I was actually alongside him when his car broke. So in my eyes, I'd, I'd, I'd driven that out of them. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you think, yeah. do you think you've, you, um, you've matured um, a lot and your attitude's got better since, uh, not so much in your brain, but as, you, as you've got older, do you think you're more, more calm nowadays? No, and more settled I'd like in to your think racing. I was always quite calm. Yeah. Um, I think I always evaluated everything. Um, don't know. Others might maybe think not. Or I might have had a small issue here or there. But generally speaking, I, I like to think and I hope to think that everyone sort of thought, yeah, saw me as a fairly calm person. But yeah. I guess I have had a chance to sort of, yeah, step back and a bit of a break out um, and just sort of, yeah, evaluate how the races work and what happens and, yeah, not to get too caught in the moment. Um, but I don't know, really. I think I mean, that's a just a, a lot of people. I think it's an ever-evolving thing. Yeah, you're always uh, learning anyway. Absolutely. I mean, a few people have you know, said to me this year how much you've been you've been um, you know, a real team player, um, you know, Dave Bailey and, and obviously the general, you know, saying how much you, you're you keen to get stuck in and help other drivers and, you know, whether, whether, it doesn't matter whether we're in the A final with you or, or the lower heat. If you see someone's car that's not quite right, you'll be like, give me your car and we'll have a look at it. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, um, it's good to hear. Yeah, I definitely do try and aim people in the right way. I mean, even I just I remember this guy. I don't know um, obviously his name or who he was in the end, but he was watching at the Nemo track, and he was from up north, and he wasn't racing, and he he was talking to me for a long while before he even knew who I was. Um, he when he realised he then did know. Oh, okay, you're you're Darren, and I think he thought from that point. Oh wow! Every time I was queuing to go on the rostrum, he was always stood there with yeah. watching like the top heat. So for the first couple of races, so I think that was a nice thing for him um, in terms of, um, oh, he's spoken to me sort of quite a few times and hasn't really shied away or said who he was, but he was actually coming down to Nemo to race, to run on the Tuesday. So I introduced him to John Hazelwood to say, look, he's coming down. And, and he said, oh, has he got an associate? I said, no, I'm not too sure what car he's even got, but I was just chatting to him and he's coming down on Tuesday. So 
it looked nicer for him to know of someone and yeah, head down. So yeah, I try to. Um, I'm, I'm obviously no angel. I'm sure we could all do more, and it's just it is. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that's hard is you have to recognise it yourself because um, I don't. I think as nice person as you can be, it, it is hard for these sort of customers and clubby guys to actually approach you. I mean, as much as you try and say it on podcasts and whatever, just just come it's, over. It's like, really whatever. funny, you know. I still get starstruck when I'm going over to Neil Craig to ask him off with my car. You know what I mean? And I pick his car up and he's set up exactly the same. I'm like, Neil, take the thing apart. Can you find out what's wrong with it? This, this, it's not right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, well, obviously, that's not something. I guess it's the same as if we bumped, you or I bumped into Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. We'd be exactly the same. But they probably just call each other idiots every yeah. time they run each other off the track. They're, they have they have that same relationship. Same as, I guess, yeah, me, me and Neil, me and Lee, everyone that's, I mean, it's been a long time. Like, like you say, Willits has raced along obviously back in the day when he did temp scale we yeah. all sort of came from there so it was crazy yeah, really I mean, all the 10th drivers went over to 8th wasn't it you know um, well it was just the new everyone's, thing it was yeah, the, yeah it was just like even Sloppy Sloppy yeah. obviously came from there um, back in the day um, it was just a new new scene obviously the 8th scale was always running but the temp scale was a, a, a highly anticipated event wasn't it i mean the, the attempt scale nationals to be fair run like clockwork for yeah. many years yeah. and then when these companies obviously Losi stepped into ape scale and associated did obviously that crossed a lot of us over so it was kind of the new oh are you doing ape scale like well yeah i'm gonna have a go and yeah so it's just yeah become a become a thing yeah, I mean, I remember when I was doing eighth in the two thousands, and I could, you know, you could come, I, I could come through comfortably make the back of the, the let's come through make the back. Is that all right? Yeah, comfortably make the back of the. Like well, you said we had to be clean on this. Uh, yeah, comfortably, comfortably <laughs> make the back of the the an cross A final, and then as soon as all the tenth guys started coming in, like you know, um, you um, Simon Willits, Lee Martin, you know, eighth really started to take off even harder. Then you know, yeah, um, big you know, like you'd see, um, I mean. Mick Craddock's mentioned this before when I've had when we've had him on. You know, back in you know back in the mid two thousands, you could you could cut and you could still win the A final. Nowadays, it's like oh, a, no a, nowadays it's like a half spin, let alone a crash, um, yeah, and, yeah, and, no and you're done. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, well, I remember that from Tempscale as well. I mean, back when it was sort of Batley days and Paul Kenningleys and Ian Kenningleys and all that were all there. And I remember sort of trying to get to the top and to the front and. I always remember Ellis Stafford saying, "Look, like just one crash and you're not in the top fifteen. That's it. That's literally what it came down to back in the day." Yeah, it's crazy, mate. What do you think about um, coming back to high grip tracks, like you know, like the the super high grip at Shrewsbury and oil tracks? What what what? What's your thoughts on them compared to how it was before when it was just like loamy dirt? It's it's not really my scene. I, I would rather it just be natural dirt. I mean, I get it. I know why everyone's doing it um, in terms of looking after tracks and the manpower is just immense in terms of man hours and manpower. I mean, yeah, yeah trying to get these tracks ready and good for us to use. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm way more for sort of the old Kent style dirt and before they even oiled um and and said but yeah you can't help it if you're not involved with a club or doing one yourself then how can you moan at what yeah what someone is providing us but yeah i mean i don't think our cars should be on high grip not our cars but i don't think eight scale cars 
um, should be on high grip. I mean, I don't think temp scale cars should be, but again, it, it is what it is. Um, yeah, uh, thankfully, I'm not too bad on any of the conditions. So it's a level playing field, um, yeah. but I, I would much rather slide one around on a on a on a looser, lonely track than than high grip if I was to have a day out for fun. Yeah. Speaking of tenth of, uh, are you going to get a tenth, or have you thought about it? Do some carpet racing through winter, keep keep your thumb sharp, or? Yeah, I've definitely thought about it. Um, I'm actually racing on Tuesday night for the first time. I, uh, uh, Freddie Russell again, actually. He's built me up a B6.3, is three, it? Three, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, two three. or three. They're both as good as each other, yeah, yeah. Three. Um, I think it's three. Or I hope it's a three. Don't want any old, uh, <laughs> any old thing, do I? Yeah. Um, he, he, he'd had some uh, work commitments over the last few weeks so we hadn't made it but yeah he gave me the thumbs up today that we're going to go um, Silverstone on Tuesday night to have a go um, so that sounds good I don't think I'm quite going to get myself all set up with it because it's it's quite a high demand in terms of batteries, speedos, motors, car um, and pretty much by the time March, May comes we'll be outdoors so I think it's probably a little bit too much of an ask for for a small amount of running um and we'll see how tuesday goes <laughs> yeah. yeah uh i'm sure i'm going to enjoy it but it's uh oh god it's so frantic isn't it like 12 second laps on a yeah you'll, on an love, indoor. you'll, you'll love it mate silverstone's great the carpet's nice and high grip without without the grip roll which is amazing you know yeah, um, yeah. it's um it's, it's, it's a good it's a good venue you, you, you will enjoy it i promise you yeah, so hopefully that's going to be fun. But certainly when summer comes and that, there'll be no temp scale. It will just be um, ape scale nationals, ape scale electric nationals. Um, and then uh, hopefully, if all goes well, um, Euros and the Worlds next year. Nice. Where's the Euro? Yeah. Where, is, is, is it world, it's Worlds year next year, isn't it? Ape scale, it is, yeah. yeah. So it's a world year every year, but one year's ten scale, next year's eight scale. So, so yeah, this year's uh, Barcelona. Uh, sorry, sorry. Next year is uh, um, next year is eight scale. No, so it, the Euros is um, Redavan again, which yeah. is um, Spain. Still Spain, and then yeah. the Worlds. As far as I'm aware, I might be wrong. Someone might correct me, but as far as I'm aware, it was supposed to be Brazil. Um, but because we usually every all the teams usually boycott these wells that are in the middle of nowhere they're expensive to get to they're dangerous sometimes yeah um it usually goes wrong really close to it and then it's all a nightmare and everyone stresses whereas i think as far as i'm aware what they've decided to do this time is take the vote early um take it away from brazil and take it to redivan which was supposed to be the next one two years yeah. later um that's as far as i'm aware yeah, we, we were talking so, when we were talking to um, Johnny Skidmore. He was saying that the um, the, the race in Brazil was going to be um, land off your, your your main main airplane over there, and then it's another charter jet um, to a little airport, oh, wow. and then it was like a two hour drive. He said through a jungle. Whether that's actual jungle, I don't know. But it was like literally, <laughs> if you got into trouble out there, you were you were seriously in trouble, sort of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I didn't know any of that. I mean, it is it is usually um, when we go far afield, like like the Australia worlds. Obviously, Australia sounds cool, but as far as I'm aware, it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that tends to be the case. But Redavan is not really in the middle of nowhere, but it's um, yeah. I mean, only only sort of twenty five half an hour away is a like a holiday kind of area yeah. for for Brits. So it's yeah, it's. Good track, good place, good people actually. The Baldos, yeah. 
Perfect. Uh, I mean, we're coming up towards the end there, dude. So I'm going to ask you um, some um, some questions that we basically are regular questions. Um, yeah. For our all right. Have you got any, who who would you say was your idol in RC, or who did you look up to the most, whether it's current or or back in the day? Who was the person that you know took you under the wing or did did a lot for you? Well, funny enough, he didn't take me under his wing because obviously he was beating me. But way back, I always remember um, every single national. And I remember it vividly at, at Batley, actually. One of the last times that I can remember was uh, my dad just always wanted... Obviously, Neil was winning everything with a B... B4. B, was it B4? Yeah, I think it must have been. It, like, it was a 10-year platform, like so he's got to have been, yeah. Yeah, 95, yeah. 2000. He was winning, obviously, everything. And then the, the Kellinglees. And all my dad ever said was, watch every lap that Neil does today. Um, so I, I guess I was almost forced to watch it. <laughs> no, that sounds wrong. <laughs> um, it was, I, no, I wanted to do well. And I wanted to know how to do better and how to do everything. So it was always, right, we'll just watch Neil. And so I think um, a similar driving style in the way that he, he kind of, he has the, the golf approach, as I say it, where you kind of let the car do its thing. Um, you, you drive it within itself, maybe is the words. Um, so I think that's probably, yeah, quite an idyllic view. Um, definitely Neil um, in the growing yeah. growing years. Um, obviously, Spash it as well. He was always sort of closer to me because of the Helga tie-up, Losi and Peak. Um, albeit he was obviously touring car, but yeah, it's still RC, it's still... Well, he was Still quite involved on the eighth platform, wasn't he, when it first came out? Him and Jimmy Davis were, were always at meetings um, together, just working on little things and stuff like that. Yeah, so by that time, he'd sort of embedded himself into a, a, a position within sort of the sales and import stuff, I guess, in the in the distribution of Helga Stroke Horizon. So, yeah, by that time, he was heavily involved and looking after looking after the teams. So, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Mr. Um, yes, uh, I know you, you you weren't a stickler for for keeping your old cars, um, but have you got any old cars left at all, knocking around like from back in the day, like or any vintages that you you thrown in the loft and forgot about, or have you just literally sold it, got rid of everything, and, and just moved on to the new one through the years? Yeah, no. Uh, sometimes it saddens me, but then other times I think, oh, just where would I put them? They'd just be stuck around. So. No, unfortunately, I've got nothing, um, nothing at all. Other, than, I mean, I've got my ape scale, uh, low C ape scale that I won the Euros with, um, tucked away. Is Freddie trying to get his hands on that? Uh, he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't get that one. I mean, he knows if it went anywhere, it would go to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm happy to. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to hold on to it for now. And then, obviously, I've got my ape scale that I've just finished with, which um, Freddie is going to get his hands on, I think, because it's. Um, yeah, I think it's quite a stickler. Obviously, as I was uh, sort of thinking about, I don't know what we were going to say about tonight, I was thinking about a few things and reminiscing on the year, really, because obviously to win that national, I mean, I still smile about it now it, it, at the end of the year. Um, I put a lot of work into it, to be fair. No practice days, but yeah, the rest of it all has to come together. Um, and I kind of thought, Actually, my, my this associated guys, obviously, I've always been on the other side of the fence for 20, 25 years. I've always known of CML, the guys, and it was almost, yeah, like the other side of the fence. Um, so to become a part of it after all these years and all the success that associated have carried over the years, um, 
actually, when you sort of look back at my car, it's the first, um, it's the first competitive associated I've ever raced. Um, it was the first BRCA national I'd ever won with an associated. Um, it won the first ever Nemo Raceway National. Um, so it, yeah, it, it, I TQ'd a qualifier with it. Uh, I've won a national with it. Uh, there's quite a lot of sort of comments you can put to that car. So yeah, yeah Freddie's going to get his hands on that one because he, he did say to me quite early on after the season, oh, don't like wreck your car in the winter or don't do this or don't do that. And and uh, I know that he'll obviously, yeah, keep it well. So it's going to go, that one's going to go with uh, into his collection, which is nice to know. Brilliant. Um what would you say your favourite track was that you've ever been to around the world, whether it be the, for the track or for the venue? Which, which, what, where would where would be your favourite? It's that is always the hardest question because there's so many. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't like to sort of single out anyone that's put in all that effort. I mean, I've never had much success there, but Padova is damn cool. Neo Buggy was always really cool. Um, even back in the day, I don't know if, I don't know if you remember, but I used to do the tingly toes at Marston Palmer yeah, um, throughout the winter. And their AstroTurf track behind their grass track was so cool with like four tabletops through the middle. And so I wouldn't really like to miss anyone out. But to be honest with you, the one way of summarizing it is you could put some, put some cones in my back garden and with an RC car or with a transmitter in my hand and an RC car on the floor, I'm pretty much happy. happy as a pig in everything. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, that's, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. That's what we started it for. Just guiding this weird mobile thing around a track is is what we all love. It's just, yeah, you're really in touch with it. So, yeah, I, all of them, really. It is, there's yeah. different bits to every single track and, and fair play to anyone that spends the time um, getting them to the preparation for us to use, to be fair. Brilliant. Last question. Um, Favourite car? If you Right the way through your career... Of all the cars you've ever raced and driven, if you could literally have one set up to go to the track tomorrow, which one would you go for? Hasn't got to be the most modern, or which one? Would, which if you could hit the track with any car tomorrow, which one would you go for? Double X four, low C double X four. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the, have you, have you seen the, the second hand prices them at the minute? The, the, I, the, haven't, <laughs> I haven't. No, no. They no, are as, through as I the I roof. Got, I haven't got any, so it yeah. doesn't really matter. Yeah. But no, I haven't. I haven't. But um, I can imagine. Yeah, they were. Uh, it was a breathtaking car. I think we had a conversation amongst a couple of us earlier in the year, um, and it's um, it wasn't ahead of its time, but it was a blimming good car. And someone made the comment of, "Well, if if lipos and such and such were available when the double X four was in its time, it it would have won everything." Was uh, was a comment, but obviously they wasn't, and that didn't happen. So, but yeah, the double X four is a favourite of mine just because of the saddle pack stuff that was not really a thing. I don't think back then, and obviously, yeah, hundreds of millions of belts, and just the way it worked was yeah, just, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right, okay then. Um, I'm going to thank you for your time for coming on tonight. Really, really appreciate it. You know, ah, no um, before we let you. Let you go. Do you want to say thank you to anyone, friends, family, sponsors, long suffering wife, anyone in particular? Oh, I mean, again, I hate to miss anyone off. Me and my wife did actually celebrate our eighth year anniversary, wedding anniversary yesterday. 
Um, but in terms of thank yous, yeah, I hate to miss anyone off, but um, obviously throughout the year, obviously CML got me got me on the track. To be fair, didn't hesitate when I reached out for some for some help, just for some little bits and bobs to get me out there and have a go. So they're thankful for them for Craig and, and the Lewises because they obviously introduced me to CML and started off conversations, and then obviously Jason in the background. Um, even even associated uh, across the pond, I know they helped out and th- threw a little bit in the in the pot to help out as well. So, just anyone out there, really anyone that's listening that that knows they did something for me. Um, yeah, obviously I'm always always thankful. So, yeah. Nice one. Ralph, say, let me just say a quick thank you to the sponsors before you go, Darren, okay? Guys, thank you very much for getting involved with our Car Crash of a podcast we lovingly produce for you every week. Don't forget to like and share for your chance to be involved with the Christmas draw. Basically, if you've shared the, the podcast 50 times this year, you're going to have 50 tickets for the Christmas draw, which is happening in a couple of weeks. It's as simple as that. So don't forget to like and share. Thank you very much to CML Distribution and Schumacher Racing, the companies that keep us on air every week. I say it every week and I mean it. Guys, thank you very much for your constant support. We really couldn't do these podcasts without all the stuff you do for us. So thank you very much. Darren, you've been absolutely epic. Um, no worries. I will, I will see you soon and I'll definitely see you at the track. No worries, yeah. See you soon. And thanks for having me. Thanks to everyone that listens. Brilliant. Take care, mate. Bye-bye.